Welcome to the Intercut Podcast channel, the weekly place to hear the latest on movies, TV, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I'm your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, his process is purely logistical. It's Arturo Zarita. All about the redundancies, 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 baby. Yeah, David Fincher is back in the director's chair for his 12th feature film, The Killer. It's a cold-blooded and methodical look at the transactional life of a professional assassin and the international fallout after one of his hits goes wrong, starring Michael Fassbender (laughs) as The Killer. The film is an adaptation of a French graphic novel of the same name adapted by frequent Fincher collaborator Andrew Kevin Walker, Arturo. David Fincher has developed a reputation for making cool, cynical films that are completely devoid of sentimentality. In that sense, is The Killer the most David Fincher movie yet? I mean, kind of, especially when you were describing, like, you know, this guy doesn't miss is what he's always saying. And if he misses, it's like, is there a reason for that? And when he does miss, it's an international fallout. Like, does he really think of himself that highly that Mank <laughs> caused the problems that we are in today? Zach? The Netflix stock price suffered. Oof. Uh, I think this is him venting about how uh, Mindhunter never got a season three. And mm. because of that, uh, he's just taking it out in whatever way he can. Yeah, a little bit. There's, I think, like different eras of Fincher, but no matter what, he's always got. That attitude that you were describing, I always think of that clip that goes around of him saying, I think uh, humans are perverts. And yeah. I mean, that's what I rely on. That's how I make all of my movies. And this reminded me a lot how you had put it when I went to my screening right before that it's early 2010s Fincher when he was doing yeah. the like... Um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo said? era. Exactly. Where it's very slick. It's almost very mundane and dark, especially mm-hmm. in that first half of the movie. But I ended up really loving that second half, especially with a lot of the stuff that he was commenting, not just from the killer's perspective, but the idea that it's not so much an assassin movie as it is a revenge thriller. Right. And a revenge thriller in this world where, where you could, I think you had called it, you could be an Uber Eats killer. You could literally yeah. be a person who is using all of the technology around us to yeah, it's get violence, away with us. It's violence in the age of Uber Eats. It's it's all these like transactional relationships that can be done through burner phones and you know uh, anonymous Amazon. phone calls and stuff like that. Yeah, right. And the, I love the the use of Amazon and ordering things to the the storage lockers in order to pick them up in a way that is also it's exactly like how it would kind happen. of anonymous. Totally. You know. It, like you said, is you're like, you're like an Uber Eats driver. I think someone had put it that it was, uh, except when you want to complain to your boss, it's almost just as difficult as an assassin than it is to be an Uber driver who's trying to like reach Mr. Uber. Exactly. <laughs> it's There's a whole just new like, way to look at a contract killer. Yeah, layers of middlemen upon middlemen upon middlemen absolving people from any sort of like direct right response or direct responsibility for the impact of their actions. And I think there's actually a lot of really interesting commentary going on here, even though this is a movie where the plot is stripped bare almost completely. The pacing is so deliberate. It almost feels like it's a movie about nothing, but that also allows Flincher the room to sort of flex his stylistic muscles and stuff 
every scene with these really fascinating little details, whether it comes down to stuff like we mentioned, the product placement, which is very deliberate. And I don't think any the kind of thing that any of these companies would be paying to have their products featured in this way. Like, yeah, Fit, Fitbit, please, let's have a sociopath uh, check his pulse on your on your technology. Maybe to that'll get a shoot. <laughs> yeah. The moment he returned a Hertz vehicle, I was like, I don't think Hertz wants <laughs> to know that he's hurting people with that thing. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no one does it like him. Did you find? Did you find the movie kind of small, or or did you actually enjoy diving in into all of those specifics that he layers into the plot? Well, again, that beginning, you know, like you're following his message from a day to day basis. The way that he goes to yeah. McDonald's and just strips away the bread because this man's like super thin. Just how he orders his breakfast, how he doesn't use Airbnb, he uses WeWork because that way he can get away with it. It's um, efficiency, right? Like he's talking about eating the McDonald's, that, not because it's like tastes good or convenient, because it's a convenient source of 600 grams of protein or whatever he said. And he and he said that that was his inspiration, the idea that he was in France and he was like, "There's a McDonald's there that doesn't even look like a McDonald's because you're mm. never interacting with anybody." You take out your phone, you order it through the app, and this magical window opens and gives you those that protein. And it's like, okay. And and knowing that, you start to see how he's almost putting this uh, killer in the era of today, in the modern world. And like you said, how he makes it more efficient. And in being more efficient, you have a beginning routine, that intro. It's, it's pretty boring. And he says, you know, the killing that happens for this job isn't the important part. It's everything leading up to it. Those crazy yoga poses, the patience, yeah. him going for the walk, the methodicalness of like, you know, the pre-production. I've been seeing a lot of people say that exactly. this is like breaking that fourth wall, like you're saying. All the difficulties of who gets the blame. Fincher commenting on how meticulous his production, uh, his productions can be and how yeah. all the little details are important in making sure the thing is executed in the proper way. So at the beginning, it's very small. And then it opens yeah. up, dude. It opens up in a very big way. Uh, yeah, it, it it eventually evolves into this kind of like country hopping manhunt of sorts. And I think that it, it's, it becomes very exciting, even if it does sort of not really announce itself, but just sort of slide its way in. You know, it, that's it's almost exactly. like, like it doesn't feel like here's the big opening. It's just kind of like, all right, here's, here's some information and you're going to find yourself eventually being, you know, pulled into this world. Yeah. So like it, it's happened through a bunch of international settings. So, you know, you're not just in a balcony looking out for the kill. You end up on beaches. You end up on like, you know, skyline buildings, all these different things. I remember when he filmed here in Chicago, I was just waiting for the scene that's going to take place in Chicago. I didn't find out till like the second day. You, you wouldn't even have noticed that he was in here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that, that's kind of how you don't even notice this man when he's walking around with his little cap, just sneaking in, pretending to be whatever he can to, to get into buildings, to do his contract killing, to find the people that he needs. But I think that the way that it expands, especially in that second half, makes it a very slick thriller, uh, re- revenge thriller. Yeah. I mean, it's got, it's sort of interesting too, because it is sort of got all these different parts to it. There's the, you know, the stakeout beginning where it's really about like trying to find the perfect time to execute your kill. There's uh, parts where it's him sort of trying to escape and not, uh, and not be tailed. There's parts where it's him, you know, finding the perfect way to infiltrate a building or, or dealing with kind of almost like a hostage situation. And I think to me, maybe the most exhilarating moment or, or collection of moments is that fight scene that we really got to talk about. Dude. For for about five minutes, this movie is about as exhilarating and, and 
fist, you know, uh, fist pounding as uh, the raid or something like that. He's got this whole uh, whole vibe where like each smack of a fist against some flesh yes. sort of shifts the camera like a mini little earthquake. And I it, know he had him. It hits really hard. I was watching this and like you had mentioned in the, in our in our stream, you were like he he's reminiscing the raid. Like it, it yeah. made you feel like it had that sort of impact. I was watching this and I'm like, should he be directing a Bane movie? Damn, <laughs> he made those swings when the guy would miss. I was ducking. It felt yeah. like a 3D movie, not in 3D. And my screening of it was pretty dark. But even in that, like you you just felt them using the entirety of that uh that house. And, and on top of that, you also have a really good dog performance. Because there's like a guard dog that that's trying to keep him out, and and yeah. that dog even had some really that's good cute. stunts. I thought he was going to jump over. Right. I, I was really impressed with that part, especially yeah, in a I movie mean, where again we're saying he's so methodical throughout it. You're you're following a guy who's really dealing with the present. That when he ends up finding locations that aren't as decked out, those end up being the most difficult parts for him. Anything that's got those old locks from like the '80s, he's like, okay, this is the part where it's like, damn, I'm gonna have to wait, and it's like. The old ways of security were a lot easier than being able to order an Amazon fob copier. And I don't know mm-hmm. if you heard, he said that the reason, the way he was able to figure out a lot of the plot points was, he's like, how would he get in there? Can, wait, can something be a fob copy? He asked his assistant, his assistant ordered it off Amazon and it was at the Marriott. There you go. Yeah. I mean, he just didn't the, do the part where he actually uh, broke the law. <laughs> the way but, where he, yeah. he implements technology is so interesting here because it it is all these ways in which it's made it just that much more easy, that much more painless to kind of be this nefarious presence, right? Like mm-hmm. th- this man is able to slip in and out of society in a way that despite, you know, surveillance and all these things that we take for granted as things that are supposed to like keep us safe in a modern society, there's also all of these tools to to subvert those safety guards. The DoorDash killer. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think it's just a the pleasure in a movie like this is the process, is all the little nuances that they think of that's like, oh, you were really clever to make sure that this is part of it, that that to figure out this way around this problem. How to get rid of really evidence, how to, yeah, yeah, how to travel between countries. And, and how the, you know, we keep using this word, but the meticulousness of it, right? Like that yeah. they don't overlook the little details that in fact this is a movie about how those little details are executed which is really uh for me i i geek out at stuff like that i just think the specificity is so uh electric and it's something that i feel like i would never think of so to to get to have that presented is really cool Mm -hmm. agreed michael fassbender in particular is transfixing in that lead role it's the part that made the part kind of made me think of when he played Frank in the movie Frank because of how he carries himself and both roles are really so much about his physicality. The way he moves his body plays such an integral role to communicating his headspace and his his assuredness in those moments. What did you make of Fassbender in this part? Yeah, I took a lot out of his, uh, I know people don't love Prometheus as much, but, or Alien Covenant, I forget which one he was in, but he was like a robot in this. Like he wasn't yeah. exerting any energy that he did not Certainly need robotic. to. Certainly robotic. Yeah. And uh, I-, I thought he was chilling in this movie. Like he's, yeah. he's always reminding himself. It- it's like he's fighting the urges to be human. Yeah. He's like always, you know, forget Pushing the empathy. It down. Yeah, you have what you need. Do not improvise. And And again, you know, you could relate that to him being on set going like, 
maybe he regrets David Fincher doing something out of the norm when he knew that everything that he had ready was already set the way it needed to be. And yeah, no, I thought it was a fascinating way, especially when you get to uncover a little bit more of his backstory, why he really goes out on that revenge mission and how he uses that to really perform his job. Uh, we were talking earlier as well about him being an, a race car driver. I don't know my race cars like that, but overseas, he's fully got this career that you said he started pre-pandemic? I think so, yeah. He's just just been going fast for a few years in uh, <laughs> different cars. I, mean, I guess if you're Michael Fassbender, you can... Fastbender. You know, go in it, right? Uh, it's, a, it's been a calling your whole life, maybe, but I don't know. Yeah. You have the privilege of walking in and out of different high-profile careers. I'm certainly glad that he's chosen to come back for this because he is one of our most compelling leading men. Yeah, we looked at the IMDb and we realized, like, oh, he really has been gone. Uh, yeah, no, that X-Men movie cannot be one of the last ones that you had on your no. radar. We, we, we need you in more stuff. But it did lead. I don't know if it's because his racing makes him have to have as little weight as possible. It made him look even more menacing because he's got mm-hmm. no body fat in this role. Like you see him, uh, we were talking about when he goes and he eats McDonald's it's because he knows it's the cheapest protein, no bread. You see yeah. him always working out, doing those yoga poses, and it's like he is a machine. He is not human. Absolutely. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, how does this stand up to his best performances in films like Shame or Steve Jobs, 12 Years a Slave? Uh, it could be me just really resonating with those movies because he's way more emotionless here. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing more of an arc, whereas here it's sort of like a worker did something wrong and now he's working overtime. <laughs> but I, I did like a lot of the interactions that he had with people. I was surprised to see. I know that they were on the cast list, but... Uh, a couple of the people who he visits when he's going on his killing spree end up yeah. being pretty big actors. There was one in particular for the dinner scene. I think she's in the trailer, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, we could say Tilda. Okay. Tilda Swinton has this one-on-one scene where she knows, like, she's been anticipating this moment of him getting his revenge. And I like how they played it off. You know, it didn't make me wonder, I need a calling card. Like, if I'm going to a fancy restaurant and they know my bottle, I need them to also know, hey, give me the isne on the protect me, A. Like, come on. When you live in that underworld, you know, yeah. you should have more. more Got to uh, come prepared. Yeah, you, you need some code code names or code words. <laughs> Fassbender and Swinton both feel like actors who should have worked with Fincher beforehand, despite this being yeah. the first time they've been in a movie together. Yeah. But that's the thing that Fincher, I think, is particularly great at, is this ability to pick out movie stars he's never worked with and cast them kind of perfectly, right? Like, I don't know if this is either of their best roles, but it 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 uses them like they they like perfect little puzzle pieces. They fit into the world so neatly. I yeah, I just like it a lot. Like he Fincher is a director who's really really good at utilizing people to get at his goals, right? And even if it's not necessarily the best acting you've ever seen from them, they they elevate the idea of the world that he's put together. Agreed. Yeah. 
Fincher's working with a lot of his usual collaborators on this one. I already mentioned Andrew Kevin Walker wrote the script, but Kirk Baxter did the editing. Eric Messerschmidt provided cinematography, while Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did the score. Technically, what did you make of the film? Because Fincher has always been meticulous about his productions. Yeah, this is a movie, not to introduce you to Fincher, this is a movie for the Fincher heads who know, like, oh, yeah, he's just doing, like, a, not even calling it a victory lap, but he's just, like, boasting, you know? I'm not calling it his Yeezus or anything, but when you're even listening to the soundtrack from these two, these guys are so advanced musically. Yeah. I don't know what they're messing with in this score, but it sounds like noises you haven't even heard. It sounds like a computer come to life, like a machine. Yeah. That, it sounds like what the robot apocalypse would sound like, to be honest It with reminded you. me a little bit of the score they used in How to Blow Up a Pipeline earlier this year, where it almost sounds like metallic creaks rather than yes. general music, but it, it creates yeah. that unsettling ambiance. feels like so, industrial. Like, if Skynet had a lobby, this is what's playing on the elevator up to the, yeah. up to the meetings. It, it's unsettling. Yeah, it's really, really effective. Uh, I definitely think the score is, is great work from Reznor and Ross. Obviously, the film looks amazing. The cinematography that like uh, they've managed to make digital work really, really well for them. It's friendship, bro. I always love seeing yeah. Adobe Premiere at the end credits when I know Hollywood wants to keep it on the Avid. Even the mixing, especially because there is a very heavy soundtrack that the killer listens to. And in listening to that soundtrack... Yeah, again, it was very dark for me in the theater, so I'm sure that the mixing would be even better probably when it comes out on Netflix and I catch it at home. He had mentioned that because he puts one headphone in, a lot of the conversations that are happening internally, you know, I I believe they're done in stereo because you're in his mind. But the moment he puts a headphone in, you're only hearing the music come out of the left or right speaker. And then the other speaker is his internal monologue as he's playing with it. So it's some really good mixing. So if you can't just make sure you, you get it with a good sound system. Yeah, really good stuff in it. Do you think this is an Oscars movie? Is this like one of the best movies of the year? No, it's, I think it's a solid outing. I know people won't agree with me on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't hate Mank. I thought Mank was a good uh, yeah. take on that story, what he was going for, the way that he kind of did the holdovers technique of making it really feel like it was filmed during that time. Yeah. I Like if, if Mank didn't get that much love, I don't see this being, I don't know, bigger, I guess. But at yeah. the same time... I. I also, not that I don't like, but I think uh, um, the one we were comparing it to from the early 2010s of uh, uh, Dragon Tattoo. Girl with the, yeah. I think it's in par with that one, but I know people like that one a lot more than I do. And that no, one totally. did get some love. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with you that it's kind of like maybe on the lesser scale of Fincher, but that's mostly because Fincher has made so many masterpieces. And um, I don't think it like there's definitely Fincher films that I would say are a step below this one. The mm-hmm. like Benjamin Button Alien 3 tier of his filmography. Yeah. But I really I, I do really appreciate a lot of this one. I, I liked it more than Mank, which I, I thought there was a lot to admire in Mank, but there's this is just more maybe what I have come to expect and come to hope for in terms of how Fincher makes these movies, his his perspective, his style. It's it's just really uh, overwhelming here. So there's a lot I appreciate about it. I don't think it's going to be in the Oscars discussion because it is sort of like a an unfeeling movie. There There isn't like a, a sentimental bone to hang on to in this film. I think there's, the you know, maybe a chance that it sneaks into like one or two technical categories. But it, even though I like the acting in it, I don't think any of the performances are showy enough to necessarily be 
in that discussion True. either. We, we just circling back to the acting. We didn't mention uh, Charles Purnell, but I really liked Charles Purnell's scene as well here. But yeah, I mean, I still think it's like a really solid film. It's in consideration, maybe for my best of the year. I think really? it's more. I don't know if it'll I think it's good. Get... It's just a big year. You know, it's not even it's an a insult. Year. It's just a it's really a big, big year. year. I don't know if it'll ultimately get into my top 10. It, it's maybe threatening, but oh, definitely. It, do you see a path for this film where we talk about it in five years as like, yeah, people really overlooked that one. People didn't give that one enough love when it came out. Maybe not enough love, but respect. Yeah. Just in terms of it being a Netflix movie, I think people aren't going to hate it, but they'll just like dismiss it in terms of like, I, I don't see them loving it later, but not appreciating what he's trying to say within it. Uh, because ironically, the same things that make that killer so efficient, because everyone's looking the other way from this technology, I, I, you and I, I think, both agree that we're in this era where everyone wants it to be like the 70s, where they were able to get so much money from the studios, and they don't realize that studio right now is Netflix. Like, mm. just because you don't like how they dump things, you and I know, who cares? They got to make it. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's able to make a movie like this, and I just don't think it'll be appreciated for what it's giving. Maybe until later when, you know, when it gets a box and when it ends up in the criteria and all of a sudden it's the same picture, but it means a little bit more because it's not right. on your streaming service. But looking at his filmography, we're do a hit because Luke, like he is that guy. When we got then, seven, it was like, you know, I like uh, what's the, the, the game one? Um, oh, the game? The game? The game? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he did Fight Club, right? Yeah. And then it was like a little bit. And then he did, uh, what would you say his next? Begin- I like Panic Social Room. Social Network. It's good. That, yeah, well, I would also count Zodiac, but then he oh, did right. Social Zodiac. Network, You're right. right? You can like Mank, you can like some of the uh, the, the Dragon Tattoo. We're do another it's seven. Been nine years since Gone Fight Girl. Club, Social Network. Would you count Gone, Gone Girl? I count Gone Girl. I think that's okay. a classic. But then we're do one, dude. We are do. We are. So we are. We are. And, Mindhunter you know, season it, three. Yeah, I, I'm. I mean, I would love for Mindhunter season three. Uh, it doesn't seem like that's in the cards. But yeah, like it, it doesn't feel like Fincher net necessarily put like the full might of his power into this. Or maybe at least like, you know, I, I think he when did. I came out of it's it. Like when we I, look at a Tom Hanks performance and we go, yeah, he's yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, I guess what it is, is that to me, this sort of feels almost like it's ripped from a world where David Fincher is a director for hire, right? Like this doesn't feel like a personal passion project or he saw this and it was like, this is a story that needs to be told. It's more Mm -hmm. like he saw this as like, I can make something pretty cool with this. Like I, I think I could direct this in a way that would be really fun for me and would work, but it's not like that. That's what I meant by like a a, a victory lap. Exactly. Exactly. He's kind of just like flexing on this one, and that's cool because I I love when he flexes. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, it's certainly not going to be one of the movies that I come up with when people ask me what's your favorite yeah. David Fincher film. He said he compared it a lot to Le Samurai, and I was looking at the behind the scenes, and he even called this one uh, Le Tour or something. Like, I, I, I don't know the French, but I yeah, like his slates were <laughs> were it in French. Just to keep that inspiration there. But I, I agree, Very cool. a solid movie, and. Uh, uh, Again, just uh, mixing would be my, my standout thing that I think I'll take from this film towards the end of the nice. year, the sound mixing. Very cool. 
Well, let us know all of your thoughts on The Killer. How does it stack up to the rest of David Fincher's work? And is it one of the best movies of the year? Uh, let us know in the comments or by reaching out to us across social medias at IntercutPod. You can reach out through me specifically across social media at Zshevich, Z-S-H-E-V-I-C-H. And check out my YouTube or TikTok channels at Multiplex Show Art. Where can people catch more from you? You can find me at LME Movies on all social medias, from Twitter to Letterboxd, over on Let Me Explain, where I'm doing some breakdowns, or every week here on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is, I like Overcast. And then make sure you're not just listening, but you're subscribed to the video feed as well on YouTube.com slash IntercutPod, where we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of the Weekend Must Watch streaming on our YouTube channel every Monday. And please leave us a comment, like the videos. Consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much-requested five-star review. Uh, would mean a lot to us if you did that. And shout out to our listeners in Denmark for putting us on the TV hey. and film podcast charts out there. Like our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter pages, support our Patreon. You can find all of those at Intercut Pod to get updates throughout the week from art, from me, from all the guests that we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, remember, stick to the plan. <laughs>